thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the very best out of you. I have been absolutely loving the feedback that I have received from you guys, the TAP audience. Um, I'm just so grateful. I, I've also had a lot of people ask me um, to do more episodes where I'm, it's just me talking or me talking about topics that I'm passionate about. And I'm just so glad that you're really liking the show and I've been taking all the feedback in and making notes. But then recently, Marcus Pierce, as you would know from 100 Not Out and Inside the Champion's Mind, and of course, CEO of The Wellness Couch, where he called me and he said the same thing. He said, can you please do an episode with just you talking about a topic? So here it is, just me talking to you. And I'm going to have a bit of a chat to you about some things that um, I've mentioned a few times, but I wanted to go into a bit more detail. So I've decided to talk about something I'm very interested in and curious about, particularly other people's experiences as well as my own. I want to talk about everyday anxieties and how we constantly feel on edge and threatened and how we are all just so tired of the overreactivity of our brains and how we overreact to just the simplest everyday demands. Um, I've met some pretty cool people in the wellness industry and in the last little while and you know that really a lot of people are the same. You know, even people who seem to have it all together we all have our worries we all have these things that run through our minds and just wear us out the self-doubt and the unhelpful rules things that hold us back don't get me wrong there are a lot of people out there who really do know themselves and understand their strengths and weaknesses and they continue to evolve and work on themselves constructively and they don't let their self-doubts get in the way. Um, they might acknowledge their their weaknesses or those doubts, but they don't live by them. They don't live by that self-doubt. They really capitalize on their strengths. So I think a lot of people do this really well and they don't necessarily have to be in the wellness industry to do it well. But, you know, even someone like me who is, you know, trained as a clinical psychologist, I have two master's degrees, 20 years experience working with children, adolescents and families and the last 10 years in private practice. And you know what? I don't get it right all the time. That's for sure. So this episode is for you if you are like me and have those times where you feel constant worry and self-doubt and get that bodily exhaustion. You know, we have that constant internal chatter, the the what ifs, and then we pair that with the physical symptoms like the stomach churning or the heart racing, maybe even feeling lightheaded or a bit breathless. And those pesky what ifs, that self-doubt, and then the physical burnout, feeling exhausted and lacking the energy to do the things that you love or spend time and be with the people that you love 
And then you feel guilty that you're not spending enough time with these people. And then you decide that you're not a good good enough wife or partner or, or mother or friend. And then, then we end up in this place where we decide, I'm not enough. And that's really hard. Well, I want you to be free from that. I want you to be able to move through each day with a sense of calm and satisfaction and have the energy to participate in your own life and in all the roles that you have chosen for yourself. So let's talk about resilience. Resilience for the anxious mind and body and a couple of strategies that I've seen work for myself and my clients. You know, it's, I know that it's not always easy to feel resilient to the onslaught of daily demands. And by resilience, I mean your capacity to adapt to stresses and challenges, whether it's parenting, work demands, relationship demands, social demands, health, financial, or whatever has come into our lives and created some tension. Resilience is how well we cope and adapt. Do we see it as a threat and say, I can't do it or it's too much or this is just too hard? Or do we identify the stressor and manage it? And how we manage the stressor can often depend on how we prepare our mind and body prior to this threat or new threats. Let me put it this way and you may have heard me use this analogy before but imagine someone saying tomorrow like absolutely you have to run a 25 kilometer marathon tomorrow now I'm guessing if you're anything like me that would be really hard well no actually for me it probably be be close to impossible but what if that demand was thrown at you pretty scary for me anyway but what if I had prepared What if I had built up my fitness to run the distance? I probably would not see the marathon as threatening or certainly not as threatening as I would today. And that's what I want to talk to you about is about fitness, psychological fitness, fitness to face adversity and hopefully strengthen our everyday mental health our psychological or mental fitness that brings us more peace and pleasure and sense of achievement to our day. So the TAP listeners may remember from the first episode of TAP, tapping the abnormal psychologist, um, but you may have heard about my experiences with my son and the anxiety that I experienced with his health issues. But today I wanted to talk about everyday anxiety because I think it's just so taxing on us every single day how we constantly see benign or everyday things suddenly become so threatening so let me let me give you a few examples I'll, I'll run through my day with you so on a good day most of the time I think I'm a pretty normal woman wife mother clinical psychologist friend daughter you know I have a great husband and lovely kids and we lead a lovely life with our friends and family Everything cruises along pretty well. But on some days, and maybe even weeks at a time, there are some days where maybe I haven't slept so well or I ate too much of the wrong foods for me the day before. And then my day might look a bit more like this. So I don't know if you can identify with this, but maybe. So my cat wakes me up at about 5 a.m. 
And I say to myself, okay, I should get up now. I'm awake. I'll, I'll go and exercise. But I don't want to exercise. Yes, you should carry. You should go and exercise. Come on, you're on the wellness couch for goodness sake. Get up. Okay, so I get up most of the time. And then I get to the treadmill. And I think, okay, well, while I'm on the treadmill, I'll, I'll be productive and I'll listen to a podcast while I'm on the treadmill. So which one should I listen to? Hmm. What do I need to hear at the moment? Or who do I need to hear from? So suddenly I am thricking, flicking through the bazillion podcasts on my iPod. And then somehow standing there leaning on my treadmill while flicking through the iPod, I've suddenly lost like 15 or 20 minutes. And I think, oh no, well, I can't exercise now. And I feel my heart start to race, even though I'm not on the treadmill. And I start to feel threatened by time or the lack of time. And then I decide, okay, well, I won't get on the treadmill. I might as well go and start the kids' lunch boxes. And then there's not enough things in the fridge to fill their lunch boxes. And I think, oh, what if the kids get hungry at school? Threat. And what if a teacher looks in their lunch boxes and decides what I have put in there is not healthy enough? Threat. What if I do a lunch order and one of the lunch ladies says, why is she getting a lunch order for her kids? Isn't she the health food shop lady? Threat. Then the kids get to school late because I was so distracted by my worry that I became unproductive. So now I am late. Threat. So I think you get the picture. You know, I've realized over time that it was my reaction to all of these perceived threats and I keep using perceived on purpose, by the way, because it's, it's how I saw it, my perception. It was a perceived threat, not an actual threat to my safety, but I saw it as a threat to my harmony or my threat to the quality of my day. But it is my reactivity that is causing me the most bother. It is literally training my brain to see simple things, simple daily things as threats. And it activates my stress response. And that's leaving me feeling wired and burned out and I've only just arrived at work. But by making a few changes, I've been able to decrease that anxious arousal. And I'm getting a lot better at moving through my day without feeling like I'm about to pass out because it's all too hard. I feel like I can get through each day with more confidence and a sense of calm. So let's get down to how. So I'm sure you've heard of fight or flight, but if you haven't, I'm going to go right through it anyway. Or you may have even heard of it as the human stress response. And normally I explain this with a few drawings, so I might have to imagine what I'm drawing, but we'll see how we go. So say 40,000 years ago, you were wandering around the forest looking for some lunch and suddenly a lion jumps out at you from behind a tree. Now, this is a serious threat to your safety. And your brain goes, rightio, this is a threat. Let's activate the human stress response or known as fight or flight. So basically, your body's going to gear up to help you fight that lion, kick, scratch, punch or flight run like crazy up the nearest tree. So to help you do that, there's a whole range of physiological processes that happen. So your heart starts pumping to get all the goodies pumping around. You release adrenaline and cortisol for strength and endurance. 
and you start to breathe faster to get oxygen around and help convert that into energy in the body. All these amazing things start to happen. You might even start to sweat to prepare you for that big effort that you'll make and that will help cool you down. But also some processes are stopped or slowed down. So for example, digestion. Digestion stops and some of that blood is diverted out of the stomach and that creates that funky butterfly feeling that we get in our guts. Other things that might be suppressed is our immune system because if you're having a fight with a lion and you cut your foot or something as you're running, your body wants to hold the immune system response off just in case there's a bigger injury later on. So there's no point your whole immune system hanging around that little scratch on your big toe if you get bitten on the arm by the lion later on. So during that whole fight or flight process, your immune system is temporarily suppressed. Also, your memory function is not quite the same because you don't need to be thinking about what happened yesterday. You need to really focus on surviving the threat that's right in front of you right now. So there's quite a bit of activation of physical arousal in the body and you can feel that and some things are switched off. So in that moment, all of that is about is your fight or your flight and that's really important for our survival to have that response. But the problem is that say 40,000 years on, what I think's happened and a lot of people have written about this, this is not just my individual idea, is that we've learned how to have a response even when a threat is not present. Now, this could be for a number of reasons, you know, because we know that animals have the stress response, but they don't always get activated like we do. You know, if if a, a deer gets chased by the lion, you know, he doesn't sort of go back to his other deer friends and say, man, did you just see what happened to me with that lion? He just chased me and man, it was so scary. You know, he doesn't go back and tell that story to all the other the other deer. But with people, we love to tell stories. And a part of a good story is that it moves you, that you, you have a reaction to it. Even though you weren't there, you felt that experience. So we're learning how to generate an emotional response even without being present or have experienced that threat ourselves. So I don't know, like a scary movie, you know, if you've ever sat down in front of a scary movie and even though as an intellectual human being, you know that they're actors and that it's just makeup and the scary music is building the atmosphere of tension, but you can't bear to watch, you know, your whole body saying, oh, I can't do it. I can't watch. And a thriller, you know, a thriller movie will do the same. You're getting all that anxiety, wondering what will happen next. So even though logically we know that there's no threat present, it's entertainment, our bodies and our minds are having this reaction. And remember, our, our default mode is survival. So our brain will detect that and say, well, there's no sensory information about threat. We can't see it or smell it or taste it or touch it, but he or she is really fired up about this information. So we better be safe than sorry. Let's put her in fight or flight just in case. So fast forward to now when you're sitting there watching TV on the couch and you're thinking about that huge phone bill that you just opened and then you open another bill and it might be your council rates and you're sitting there and you're thinking, crikey, you know, gosh, you've got all these demands on me with money. And then your partner might walk in and say, hey, love, would you like a cup of tea? And then you're like, no, I don't want a cup of tea. Why would I want a cup of tea? And this this angry response comes out and your partner thinks, you know, just asking for a cup of tea, crikey. And you think, where did that come from? 
But that's that driving fight or flight response that's been churning away because you saw those financial stresses as threat. So fight or flight is still there when you perceive a threat, even though it's not actually life-threatening, but it's a perceived threat. It's a thought about a threat. So fight looks like short-tempered, feeling angry or waking up angry, just feeling very irritable, like you can't cope with what's happening. And flight is there also. The avoidance. So flight, when we're being chased by the lion, is running away or running up a tree. And flight, when it's a perceived threat, when we're sitting there on our couch worrying, is about avoidance, all types of avoidance. So that could be social avoidance, not wanting to go out. It could be using alcohol, gambling, maybe even drugs, maybe even overeating or oversleeping. Ways in which we avoid the perceived threat. Maybe even a bit of procrastination could be used there as well. You know, I know that my house is very clean and tidy when the bath is due because I'm avoiding having to go and do the bath statement. So... Fight or flight is still present even when we aren't actually faced with a life-threatening threat. It's our thought about it, how we perceive that, what meaning we give that stressor that has come in and we feel our body get activated. But the problem is if we keep going into fight or flight all the time, our body just simply finds this so exhausting. It's in and out, in and out, fight, flight, that's a threat, new threat power bill, phone bill, get the kids to school on time, phone calls to return, get that report in, make sure we go and see that person, return that call, constant demands. And our body says, gosh, this is getting so hard to go in and out of fight or flight all the time. How about we just hold them at a higher level of arousal? She won't really notice, but at least we're ready in case any threat comes in constantly. So it's like your body is in this state of hypervigilance. But what that means is there's constant adrenal response, constant immune compromise, constant digestive compromise. So your body is just feeling exhausted. And you might not notice that you're in this higher level of arousal. But if you weren't and a demand came in, you would handle it pretty well. But if you're in this higher level of arousal vibrating up there at almost the peak of this anxious responding and a demand comes in, then boom, you're straight into feeling overwhelmed. It's there. You feel the shakiness. You feel the lightheadedness. It might even look like a panic attack or be a panic attack. So what I would quickly wanted to talk to you about today is three things that I talk to myself about and I talk to my clients about that helps me turn around that peak of anxious responding. Now, long-term, we need to also be working on this. So long-term, in order to bring our arousal down, we need to look at things like what exercise are we doing and making sure it's not too overstimulating if we already have a lot of exhaustion in our body. Yoga, Pilates, making sure we're getting you know, massage or stretching, making sure our food is great and that we, we're intuitive about how we eat and how we feel after certain foods and we're looking after ourselves, plenty of water and giving ourselves space and time. Now, that's all easy to say and that's the long-term stuff, but I'm not going to go into that in detail. 
what I wanted to talk to you about is how do we cope in that moment when we feel so wired up that all these demands have come in or it even might feel like one demand's come in and we feel like it's just going to make everything topple like dominoes. So the first thing that I talk to people about is breathing. We need to create the relaxation response, which is the antidote to the stress response. So how do we do that? It's triggered by a long breath out our mouth, like a sigh. You even see it in the movies. There might be a fight between a couple in a scene and then one of them walks out the door and slams the door and then the other person in the room goes, you know, they sigh. That long breath out our mouth triggers that relaxation response. So what I encourage myself or my clients to do is take a breath in the nose for about three seconds, counting one and two and three in the nose and then out the mouth for about five seconds. And ideally, when you're practicing this, you might be sitting quietly at home and sitting upright on a chair, sitting confidently and tall in the nose for three seconds and then out the mouth for those five seconds. And I would repeat this two to three times. Sometimes people even feel a little bit of lightheadedness when they do that last long breath out their mouth. And that sometimes can be blood pressure changing and the body actually activating the stress response. Now, it's a really good idea to practice this breathing when you are relaxed. A bit back to our marathon analogy, there's no point getting in the middle of the shopping center and feeling overwhelmed and the kids are hanging off you and one wants to go that way and one wants to go the other way and you've got things that you need to do and you go hang on a second what did Carrie say about that breathing is it in the nose out the th- what's the no that's not what we want what I want for you is to practice the three in the nose five out the mouth two to three times when you're in a relaxed setting because that way your body's going to pair that experience with relaxation Now, the next thing that I wanted to talk to you is, now it's a biggie and this is kind of where we all get a bit stuck and that's what are we saying to ourselves because sometimes like in the shopping center with the kids hanging off each arm and one screaming and one wants to go that way and we so much to do, pay the bill, then what we need to look at is what are we saying? Are we saying to ourselves, oh, I can't do this, I can't cope, I can't get on with what I need to do. This is too much. What we need to do is change what we say to ourselves rather than saying this is too much. I can't do this. It's too hard, which further exacerbates that fight flight response. What we need to be saying to ourselves is, okay, this is a tricky situation. I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed, but I'll get through it. Rather than focus on what's not going quite my way right now, I'm going to focus on what I can do. So you might focus on just one task and that might be tending to child A and then say, okay, child B, let's sort you out. Just one task at a time because if we try and fix all of it in one moment, it's just not going to happen. Take the breath, talk yourself through it calmly and constructively. And the third thing is then to go ahead and do that. Go and do that thing that will give you a sense of achievement in that moment. And sometimes you can't. Maybe it's three o'clock in the morning and you've woken up and you can't get back to sleep. 
take the breath. It's okay that I'm not asleep right now. At least I'm resting my body. Rather than worrying about not sleeping, which will probably trigger my fight flight response, I'm just going to take a breath and I'm going to lie here and imagine if I had $10,000 to spend on a perfect dream holiday, who would I take and what would I do and where would I go? Okay, so to summarize, take the breath, three in the nose, five at the mouth, two to three times. Practice that when you're relaxed. Have a look at what you're saying to yourself. Criticizing yourself and being critical right in that moment of acute stress is not helpful. Easier said than done, I know. I do know this is really tricky stuff. But try and be more constructive around what you're saying to yourself. It's a long day and I need to get through it. Let me go and do a couple of things that I know I can do right now. Sometimes I know when I'm taking my daughter to ballet that getting her in her ballet tights, I'd be like, crikey, get this. Come on, wrong foot. Or I could go about it by taking the breath and saying, okay, these tights are always tricky. There's no easy way to put them on. But if I take a breath and go about it calmly, it's going to be a much better experience for all of us. So what I'll do is just move really slowly and take the breath and chat to her about her day rather than overreacting to a pair of tights. So I hope those strategies are useful for you and I've only spoken about them really briefly. You know, I really want you to imagine the freedom that you would feel from anxiety. Who would you be without anxiety bossing you around all day and night? What would that be like? You need to take the perceived risk that everything will still be okay even if you don't worry about it. And worry can be so powerful for triggering that anxiety and that fight or flight response. And I would love to talk to you more about it. So if you have enjoyed today's show and the content today really spoke to you, I would love to meet you at one of my workshops on my mini tour. I'm in Narrabri, New South Wales on the 13th of March, then Brisbane on the 24th of March and the Gold Coast on the 27th of March running my workshops on resilience for the anxious mind and body. They're four hours, 9am to 1pm across those dates. I would really love to meet you guys and I'll be talking about my new program there as well that will be available online soon. And for more information and tickets, please go to the three W's, CarrieThompsonCasey.com. That's www.CarrieThompsonCasey.com. That's Thompson without a P. And go to the Resilience Workshops tab. I would love for you to come and join me. I'd love to meet you. Well, I hope that you have found today's information valuable. Don't forget to support the show by telling your friends. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Carrie Thompson Casey. And like us there and give us your feedback. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes or on the website. And don't forget to go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating if you like the show. You can also support us by going to that website and subscribing to the newsletter. Thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. Take care. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.